podcast. I'm your host Emma Thomas and I'm really happy to welcome to the podcast today Anna Kilpatrick and we discussed off air how uh, I should introduce her. She's a woman of many talents doing different things. One of the things that she said she's been calling herself is an outfluencer and we'll find out a bit more about why that might be as we go through the interview. Many of you might know her from Instagram as Not Needing New where she talks a lot about sustainability and living well with less and on a smaller budget. So we'll unpack a lot of that as we as we get going. But Anna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Emma. It's lovely to chat to you. If you can hear a kind of weird crackling noise going on, <laughs> it is my small dog sitting, biting a hard thing next to me. So apologies in advance. <laughs> Wait, I mean, he's he's a very integral and important part of your uh, your Instagram following as well, I think, because hey. everyone's been watching the, uh, the latest... <laughs> latest drama of Wimbledon get well being really unwell yeah that that was that was really an eye-opener I learned that kind of half the people that follow me actually only there for dog content (laughs) dog chat yeah happy happy to provide that for them (laughs) anyway that's not my main focus no no but so you're so we I mentioned the not needing new which is the name of your your Instagram account which has now almost 50,000 followers yeah what made you start down that that road of you know sort of talking very openly about the fact that you were not buying new things that you were sort of working within this very restrictive restraining budget I think well a couple of things like um as we've talked about before I'm from a really huge family so I've got 14 brothers and sisters so I feel like I've grown up without much of a deep sense of privacy (laughs) and that sounds as though I'm kind of moaning about not about that I'm not at all in fact it was a and it still is an amazing thing in life to have all these people to share your experiences Mm. with these people who have had the same experiences as you it's amazing and I love my big family but hand in hand with that comes a lack of privacy and I'm so I'm used to sharing I'm used to having Mm. lots of support around me in those siblings I'm very envious because my, my I only have one sibling and she's in Australia. So oh, I, I feel like an only child a lot of the time. So, yeah, I see all of those lovely gatherings. Yeah. and You live quite close to a lot of my family. so I'm Maybe sure. they could adopt me. Yeah, we can share. Extra. <laughs> one more won't make any difference. No one will notice this, Emma. I'll just sneak you in. <laughs> just so, here she is. Yeah, so so there's that. And, and I think when I started to live life on a much smaller budget, and manage financially by myself with the kids. I was doing a lot of charity shopping and finding bits and pieces. And people would often say to me, what a lovely outfit or what a lovely dress or that's an amazing buggy even or, you know, things mm. like this. And I would say, oh, I got it at the tip or I found it at the Red Cross shop. And somebody said to me at some point, you you should put all these things on Instagram. And I genuinely didn't even know what Instagram was. I put Instagram on my phone in about 2013. It was quite new then. It looked really different. And I just thought it was a photo editing app. I didn't even know it was social media. How weird is that? 
But then um, in 2019, I had worked out, it's six years of it on my phone, I had worked out what, what it was. And then I did start this platform of not needing new it was tight obviously they're all tiny at the beginning you, at the beginning you've only got one follower haven't you or none and I just thought that it was a nice thing to share it basically started just with clothing really just to to share outfits from charity shops to show that you don't need to have money to dress quite well uh, if you you know can do some good searching around in charity shops and I think that resonates in a kind of in two complementary ways because people who are doing it from a sustainability point of view, because, you know, there is so much clothing out there. We really yeah. don't need to keep spewing more and more of the fast fashion out into the world, but also from, from the sort of the finance angle. And, and I definitely I've started shopping pre-loved charity stuff a lot more, yeah. but I think it's, you know, there is still some kind of stigma attached to it. I think there isn't. So it's people like you are doing an amazing job in kind of just pushing all of that away. I hope so. And I think that um, my thinking about it over the last few years, I've, I've kind of worked out in my mind what I think possibly has happened with particularly my generation of men and women who are, so I'm 50 and I would say for people in their late 40s and 50s, the the younger generation are much, much better at accepting charity shop clothing. I really feel like my kids and their mates and my nieces and nephews for them, it just doesn't matter. It's, mm. it's absolutely fine. It's a standard, normal thing to do. And that's great that the message has come to young people in such a strong way. But I think that there's still some sense of hangover with my generation because we were the kids who grew up in the 80s. And that mm. was such a time of consuming. It was such a time of obvious showing your wealth and what you had. And if I trace that back in my mind... I kind of came to the conclusion that my parents, so our parents, were the wartime babies. And they grew up with people who'd gone through having to live with much less and make do and mend and rationing. And people wanted to move away from that as much as possible and reject it. It was difficult. It was traumatic. Hundreds, you know, people died. People didn't come back. People mm. had to take up these jobs and it was a time of trauma obviously wartime trauma even at home even back here at home if you weren't deployed overseas in action it must have been a terrifying time and I think that financially the, the impact of consequences on normal families and rationing as we you know talked about and having a lot less people wanted to accelerate away from that and they did and we went through a time oh, too far the other way. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the pendulum that swings has, is just swinging back again. But I think it's mm. a bit harder. I feel like it's a good thing to show women, particularly of my age group, for whom it was a bit embarrassing at school to have mm. secondhand stuff. You were teased and you were bullied and people didn't want to be on the receiving end of that stigma so I think it's I feel like it's a bit of a responsibility to dismantle it now and to say to people it's all right it you know you you're not you're not lesser for buying your coat from a charity shop it doesn't mean that you're a gross person it doesn't there's nothing dirty or bad about wearing somebody else's clothes and I 
I, I bring up the point to people that if you stayed at the Savoy Hotel and you slept in that bed, those sheets were not brand new for you that night. They've been laundered. Someone else has slept on those. Yeah, we don't think about that. (laughs) The towels and the sheets. Yeah, the the towels and the sheets, even in the most expensive, luxurious hotels in the world, have been used by somebody else. And so if you buy a jumper in the charity shop, it's the same as sleeping on the sheets at the Savoy. So that's what I say. <laughs> it is a great com- uh, comparison. I've, speaking of comparison, you 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 wrote and and spoke the other day about the sort of comparisonitis, and I think that's you know that kind of hand in hand with that sort of the the shame or the stigma of of second hand being second best. Yeah. Kind of also, you were talking about the sort of the compar- comparing. You know, we are. I think we're just hardwired to do that as humans anyway. So it's hard not to. It is really hard not to. Yeah, it is really hard not to. And I feel that a lot of the time I tick along really happily and I live in a really small flat now. I did have a four bedroom house with this beautiful cascading woodland garden. And I had a dining room that was separate to the kitchen that was separate to the lounge. And there was a spare bedroom even. And now I'm in a two bedroom flat on the third floor, no balcony, no garden. My children have got tiny bedrooms. One of them's got a pocket sliding door to have created a bedroom. I don't even, yeah, (laughs) I don't have a bedroom. I sleep basically in what is a a little bit of space off the landing above the hot water cylinder. And I've been there for six years. We've been in this flat for six years. And mostly I think it's absolutely fine. It meets our needs and I'm, I'm okay. And occasionally I will go somewhere to a friend's house and I will feel a real stab of, oh my goodness, I'm a failure. I haven't managed to have these things that other people, I started off on a level playing field with, mm. these things that other people have managed. How have I failed? Um, what you know? And I feel like a bad mother. I feel that I haven't given my children enough that they've been able to do um I don't know, flute lessons or go to this club or this activity or have learned to ski or any of those things. Yeah. We just have never been able to manage it. And and so, yeah, the, the comparison is, uh, is an unwanted visitor that sits on your shoulder and kind of whispers to you that you have failed. But of course, you haven't. It just, you've got to acknowledge that feeling. You've got to see it for what it is and just say, oh, Oh, there you are again, comparison. You're trying to freak me out. Okay. I've seen that you're there. I leave now. Yeah, go now. And I've been, I think that one of the gifts that comes with getting older, and thank goodness there are gifts, because there are certainly a few punishments, <laughs> my hips are telling me. One of the gifts, I think, is perspective. And, and actually, I've been trying to tell myself, and this, this I think is really true, if you were drowning if you were at sea and you were shipwrecked and you were drowning and a lifeboat came and picked you up and picked the other people up as well and placed you all on board and you were safe you'd been rescued you wouldn't be looking across to the other people on the other side of the boat and thinking they're in a better spot than me they're sitting along the nice edge that you wouldn't be thinking that you're all the same you're all saved you've all been rescued and I think that I need to think about my life like that. I've got a house. I'm safe. Thank goodness, by some crazy twist of fate, I was given a life 
that gave me this position in this country with all this privilege around me. I might have a smaller flat than my friend in her big house, but we're both on the raft. We're both safe. And in this world currently, with what is going on, yeah. that is, you you just have to get perspective and not try and see yourself as having bad luck. My goodness. You're in the 1% I, of the yeah, <laughs> most I privileged. The most amazing luck. And there is total parity with any of my friends who have huge houses. They're lucky. And I am also lucky. And I think that's really important that we keep that in mind. Mm. Was the, when you, when your sort of personal family situation meant that you had to move out of the family home, was there a kind of grief, period of grief and grieving for that before life that you had to go through? I don't know. I think that... Um, I think that what happened was just so traumatic and so I think what happened was so traumatic and things move so quickly and when you are in the middle of an absolute shitstorm in life you don't think you there's mm. no time to reflect you just keep on going you you keep on surviving don't you uh, although that sounds a bit strong now you got you're getting through life one day at a time you're not Yeah exactly so what I, I'll just really briefly fill people in who you know obviously people don't know what happened but in 2012 my husband I'd been with for a really we'd been together since we were at uni since we were basically kids and he was a PE teacher and was 38 and he had a massive stroke and um, in our home and collapsed on the bathroom floor one morning and the kids were four and seven and um he lost about a, a sixth of his brain completely. Basically, a blood clot from a knee injury had travelled slowly, slowly over a, quite a long time, and then lo- and then one morning just made its way through and, and lodged itself there. And he was in intensive care for a really long time. And he had, you know, he had. It's eleven years on now. We're not together anymore. Um, there's. Uh, it's really hard to explain people and I carry a lot of guilt about it as well because I feel that I was judged really harshly for letting our you know for allowing our marriage to end but we have just we yeah we are already uh, we're finding things a bit difficult and and it's really really hard to try and fix things with someone who's had a brain injury and that's what a stroke is it's an acquired brain injury it's the same as if he'd come off a motorbike and had a head injury it's he he's amazing he is an amazing guy he's got a new partner he's got two new kids my children adore their half kids things have settled now but it was horrible it was like someone's lobbed a hand grenade into your life and just all the bits go yeah it really was it really was there's a lot of grief I feel that there's it's funny because when somebody that you are around somebody that you love and I do love him I I love him like I love my siblings like I grew up with this guy he's Mm. a good he's a really good guy and when somebody you know has had uh, something like that happen to them a brain injury they're still here and they've survived and they're you know it's amazing they're progressing they're surviving they're, they're resilient and and to be applauded but what people don't talk about is the other people around them are left with a kind of grief for the person before. Yeah, because they're not change. the same person. Yeah, you do change. And it might be that you change in many really good ways, 
But there's a definite change. And that person before who woke up and walked into that bathroom, it's not the same person now. And it's weird. It's like you can't grieve for someone who's still here. Mm-hmm. So so it's a strange it's a strange thing. Anyway, as a consequence of that, he obviously couldn't work as a PE teacher anymore. We lost our house. Um, we were, it was just down to me uh, to cope financially in the southeast of England with two kids as a teacher. Honestly, it's so hard. It's it's crazy. It's so hard. So I actually feel like now, 11 years on, being in this little flat and having a a mortgage that I have managed to afford by myself and with those children financially, that I've done it by myself, I feel I shouldn't be embarrassed about my little flat. I should be proud of it because... Oh, that's heroic. (laughs) Yeah, because it is bloody difficult isn't it yeah well that's yeah 11 years of getting from presumably one situation where you think how am I gonna make it to the end of this month or like you know kind of an unexpected bill turns up or exactly and and there was there was one section in the middle I think maybe 2014 or 13 the school that I worked at I worked at this boarding school and the head threw me a bit of a lifeline and said, why don't you become a house mistress? We need a house mistress for one of the senior school girls boarding houses. So I did that and we moved in. The kids and I, we moved house, I think six times in six years at the beginning. That was absolutely crazy. And I, you know, I still feel really bad because occasionally I'll find a box like in the back of the garage here at the flats that says, Isaac on it and I'll open it up and there'll be a load of little toys that I just completely missed in his life they got packed away when he was seven Mm -hmm. and they never came back out because life was just so difficult and I feel like oh poor thing you know all these little treasures he had that just got taken away and moved because we moved and moved and moved and moved and it was so unsettling for them but we um I can't remember where I was going with this oh yeah no the school (laughs) offered me this chance to be the house mistress and it was absolutely nuts, Emma. I don't know why anyone thought I could do this. I don't know why I thought I could do it, but I don't think <laughs> having two young kids of your own already yeah. who need uh, uh, that you were solo parenting. No, I was solo parenting my children who were four. Yeah, they were. It was so early on. They were sort of four and seven still, turning five and eight. I was in in a boarding house. I had sixty three teenage girls to look after. Some of them were day. Some of them were flexy, and they'd stay during the week. Some of them would be there like full-time boarding and I you know, had to meet all of their needs, all of their parental wishes. I could not, I'm barely struggling to cope with one teenager. I think 63 <laughs> sounds like. And then my kids didn't have places at that school because they were too expensive for me to afford to put them even in staff places. So my kids were at the primary school. I had to get up in the morning, get my kids up, register 63 kids, make sure that they were all all right and going off to the right places, drive my kids to primary school in the, in the local village, come back, teach, go and get my kids again, come back, sort the kids out for sports sessions, for making sure they were doing their prep and all this kind of stuff. Got to bed about 11 o'clock at night and I used to just get in my bed by myself in the house, the house mistress house. And I got a three bedroom house along with the job and my council tax paid and all my bills paid and pretty much could feed my kids in the refectory of the school, in the school canteen. Um, But I used to go to bed at 11 o'clock at night, set the alarm so that no intruders broke into the teenagers' buildings and used to just cry and thought 
I, how can I do this? I had to have meetings with parents about their teenagers. And, and let's face it, they were pr- fairly privileged teenagers at this school, mm. this expensive school. And I had to be the first line of contact for the, between the parents and anything else that was happening. I remember being in one meeting and seeing my child's little hand come through the door to ask me about something. And I had to push them out, push their hand back and close the door because the paying kids obviously come first. My job was the house mistress, not being the parent to my kids. Anyway, it didn't last about that long. I just had, I gave it up. I gave up the house. I gave up that kind of financial security because actually the only two kids in the world who really needed me weren't getting me. And so that's when I really let go of thinking that having a bigger house or having a trampoline or having any of these things were important things because all my children needed was for me to be able to open that door and make them my primary concern and not somebody else's child who was, you know, just under my care at school. I couldn't do it. Now I look back and I think, my God, how did, how did I even do that? But it's just, it's the same thing, isn't it? Is you're just putting one foot in front of the other and getting through this day to get to the next day. And uh, yeah, exactly. And, and, and kind of in the middle of it, people say to you, you have these voices of people around you who have been through difficult times and they say to you, this too shall pass. And they say, don't worry, things will get better. And you think at the time, how can they? They're not, you know, this is, it's dreadful. It's awful. Things, I don't know. And it feels really panicky. But actually, they were right, those wise counsels. This too well, now you're that person for um, for lots of other people, aren't yeah. you? Because are, the cost of living crisis and, and various other things kind of going on in the world. Yeah. There are a lot of people being put into that kind of situation now that you have managed. And yeah, I think it's it's comforting to to sort of see somebody who's thrived and survived through that it's not well, to say that, that it's easy but yeah no I I think that's the whole point Emma that's like the whole point that I want to make in my Instagram account in the not needing new account is that actually through just the hand of fate I ended up losing financially losing a lot and um, having to cope with um, on much smaller income in much less space and I would say Actually, now that I've done it for 11 years, I can really say I don't think my life was better before having a big wood burning stove and this massive house. And I wasn't happier. And I really think that you, I talk about a lot about the joy of enough. And actually, when you find what is enough in life, that is the absolute sweet spot. That is perfection. When you just work out what's just enough. You don't need to keep shopping. You don't need to bring all this stuff into your life that you have to curate and look after. And, oh, it's too much. I think it's exhausting for everybody. When you find- It's a machine though, isn't it? Trying to get us to buy more stuff constantly and actually resisting all of that pressure of kind of just capitalism and and social media and telling us that we need this thing or that thing and and then we're going to be happier or thinner or 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and sometimes, sometimes the occasional little treat thing is really lovely, and I can buy into it. You know, like I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good bar of soap. <laughs> like, there, um, there are some things that I do still get pleasure out of buying. I'm not saying that I'm a hermit in a cave living on seagull eggs. I just, I do still like live in the normal world and and go shopping, and I still like having a look at the Aldi middle aisle. <laughs> things like that I'm, oh. I'm so envious that you've got Aldi makeup where you are we don't get any uh, well occasionally I have to say there is it's very hit and miss but uh, yeah we do occasionally get it but yes there is definitely for me I found that kind of working out what is enough has been a really really good way to to feel happy do you ever get sort of slightly trolled on on social media but like oh you can't possibly be that happy you must be miserable about something <laughs> no do you know what I found the whole sort of secondhand community on Instagram is so supportive and so delightful people mm. talk about social media being toxic and I think yes it, it really can be for sure but I think that the kind of the, the little pool that I am in, um, and the mostly women, I think it's not, I think I have like 96% women make up the demographic of my following and they're mostly a similar age to me. What a beautiful bunch of people. I honestly have daily, um, people sharing things with me, people affirming joys in their lives. Um, I find it a really supportive and beautiful space, actually, a kind of uh, third space in, in, in my life. I, I, I really love it. I get a massive amount from it. And I think people's kindness, people's capacity for kindness mm-hmm. is far, far outweighs their capacity for cruelty. Um, and it just makes me think that humans are lovely and wonderful. The, the, the places where I have taken a bit of a bashing or if I've ever spoken to journalists who've been nice in themselves but they've done like occasionally I've done a couple of pieces in magazines about living with less and when a when a journalist writes a piece and it goes online and and it opens to comments my Mm. goodness that is brutal like don't 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 read the comments don't ever read the comments and and I I actually had um a, a really nice journalist talking to me recently who wanted to pitch a piece and I pulled out, I said to him, I'm really sorry. I'm, I don't think you should spend any more of your time on this because I just don't want to do it. I it just, it feels, mm. you know, you know that you open yourself up to people. I did a piece once and it was in um, a mirror online or something. And it was, I didn't get paid for it, it, but I thought it would help my not needing new account. And the only reason I need that to grow is not because I'm totally narcissistic it's because I've got a literary agent now who found me through um Instagram who's at Curtis Brown and I've got this book proposal in for this book that's called The Joy of Enough all about living with less and the difficult thing about publishing at the moment is that you have to prove that you've got a platform they don't really Mm. want to take publishing houses don't want to take a punt on you unless you've got a a solid platform and I'm afraid 46,000 people is just not enough you've got to have 460,000 people for a, so so uh, that take you a bit longer yeah it. yeah exactly <laughs> no, 20 years oh. so the growth the growth thing is kind of good for for the possibility of that happening perhaps one day but 
the the comments on this piece in the mirror were so awful. It was so it was really brutal. It was like she's a tramp. Who the hell does she think she is? She looks like a jippo. Like um, I'm wow. sorry, you know what a horrendous word to be using anyway. Just mm-hmm. it's just so um so yeah that social media is toxic in that way um but I guess you've got to you've got to try and think to yourself would I go and ask uh John who's commenting on the mirror piece would I care about his opinion would I go to him for advice no so I don't have to take his feedback don't even have to look at his comments <laughs> I do wonder what what is going on in these people's lives though that they have so much vitriol that just needs to come out via the keyboard I mean they oh, yeah. you just feel a bit of, yeah in fact if you can turn it to pity it's probably the best thing to do with that feeling mm. but, yeah. but Instagram's also led to a really interesting kind of recent development which is you've been finding some of your brilliant charity finds and, and selling them in in conjunction with um, yeah, Valerie. Jansen, yeah. pre-loved. Yes. And, and that was really nice because what happened there was I um so I left teaching after 23 years in in the, at the end of 2019 I left teaching I like finally decided that um it just became so stressful I think that the job that I was doing really wasn't the same job that I trained for back in 92 to 96 when I when I trained like, when I went to uni it. And did, yeah it was so it was so difficult you you became I think teaching now is so holistic. You have to be responsible for every aspect of that child's life and you are held to task for that. And it's too much. And and these kids are walking around with their phones, which means they're interconnected constantly, even when they're on the bus, when they're going home, bullying and um, difficult scenarios with the teenagers that there's no escape for the kids and it does have repercussions for the leaders at school and school have to pick up all this stuff and deal with it and people are then writing about them on parent forums and it just it's so hard to get it right as a teacher you are just sort of under I feel like you're under attack from every dimension the the greatest of which is the constant bringing in of new initiatives so that you lose your break time, your lunch time, like every moment of the day, you've got to have an intervention group to bring up the boys in year eight who are, you know, just, Oh my God, it's just exhausting, exhausting. Anyway. So I gave up at the end of 2019 and I went to work for my really good friend in in the village that I live in. Her husband's got this completely amazing quirky life whereby he's a vintage car restorer but also he had this idea to sell men's lingerie. So he's designed it himself and he creates, you know, he has this, he has it handmade in Leeds and this amazing little um, sewing initiative. And so I came on board to help him launch that and to market it. And it's quite the job, let me tell you, editing pictures <laughs> of men's bottoms. It's, it's an interesting niche. <laughs> it's career swerve from marking English uh, pieces but it's been fun and um, so I've been working for him but he recently uh, it's been hard for him holding this small these two small businesses together has been really really difficult over lockdowns and what's happened and Brexit has have a massive impact as well on what you can on the car world and the underwear world things getting goods imported in and out and uh, it's been so hard so I ended up losing 50% of my job which means 
that I am down to a secure £15,000 a year to live off for me and my teenagers and my dog, which if you live in the southeast of England, you will know is pretty blooming difficult. So I kind of panicked and then I thought, what am I going to do? Shall I do some cleaning? You know, what other job could I do? Mm. And I thought I've got this kind of healthy bunch of people who follow me. I hate saying that, who follow me like in the Pied Piper. <laughs> I need a better word. Yeah. My community. Community. Yeah, a community. Who, are, who I'm yeah. in a community with, I would say. Yeah. So mm. I was, uh, in, in this community. this, And I thought, I love going to charity shops and finding things. I love that. But I've got enough myself. I don't need any more. So perhaps I could go and find beautiful stuff and flip it and, mm. and reset. And you do find the best stuff. I don't know how you do it. I'm rubbish. Uh, I mean, I'm wearing, you can't, no one can see, but I am wearing one of my charity shop jumpers. It looks lovely. It looks like you. Sarah Nordic. It is. It's, it's really only nice. an H&M one. But, um, it's really yeah. nice. So, so I thought I could do this. And I said on my Instagram stories, because I do share, I, I overshare probably, but I just talk openly on Instagram. And I said, look, I've lost half my job. I might do some reselling. Yeah, I'm going to think about that. And I got contacted by a local reseller who lives about 20 minute drive from me, who I had met at a market. I bought a couple of things from her, actually. And I had shared her website mm-hmm. with I've people. bought some lovely stuff from her as well. It's, yes. it's Damson Preloved. If you're Damson anyone listening, yeah, she check is, it out. She's fabulous. And she contacted <laughs> me. And I think, you know, she was really brave to do that. She contacted me and she was like, right, if you're going to be doing this and I'm doing this and we live in the really same area, let's have a talk about how we could help each other instead of being rivals. So we met and had a little smoothie and we decided that what we could do is she already had a website. She already had built that herself and she'd got this fabulous website. She, she's got all the mechanics of how to sell online sorted. She's got the card payment things sorted. She's got, um, you know, the, the time and she understands the whole postage system. She's got it sussed. And I didn't have any of that structure in place. But what I had was quite a big community of people. So she was like, right, you bring me your community of people and I'll give you the structure and we can go together and we could try and see if we could work together. Mm -hmm. So we have done and I've got a little section on her website and then we work together and we do these lives together. And it's so nice. She says she feels like she's got a colleague after years of working completely solo and some be very lonely I know (laughs) and I feel like I've got a mentor as well and she never ever wanted to do lives on Instagram she's quite shy she's she's much happier running a stall in real life and talking to people face to face um and I don't mind doing lives at all for you know I'm actually happier telling the entire world (laughs) what I have for breakfast than I am going to a party and talking to six people I find that harder and so we really complement each other and it's been it's been fantastic um yeah we're not millionaires it just makes a few quid but it's really nice I I really enjoy it and hopefully it will grow who knows fantastic well that seems like a good place to end how can people find you online if they're not already following you well, actually, there's two places. So I have actually got my own website now, which I bought myself with my birthday money. So <laughs> I have got a website that's called notneedingnew.com. That's it. No full stops in it, just straight through notneedingnew.com. And from there, there's a link to my Insta, which is not 
dot needing dot new so either instagram or my website and um, also the collection that's on dams and pre-loved i'm there as well fabulous anna thank you it was lovely getting to chat to you at long last and you and next time i come to oxford i'm going to give you a shout and we'll do an (laughs) ifly lock walk we can go for a walk together Sounds lovely. I can't. I don't have a dog that I can bring, but um, share mine. Maybe I can steal. The neighbour's got a new puppy. Maybe he'll lend me out. Yeah, my dog will savage it. So let's just take mine. <laughs> Thanks Thank ever you. so much for letting me be part of your podcast. It's a joy, joy of enough. Yeah, <laughs> enough already. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com sign up to my newsletter as well i do hope you enjoyed listening today if you did i'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed hope you can join us next time goodbye for now